Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish. And I'm Maddie. And we're happy you're back with us again this week. We want to thank some special listeners because we forgot in the last episode to thank those people that I was too excited to get into the case. They might have enjoyed that we weren't being creepy. Yeah, maybe it was some relief. Maybe. Is that why nobody gives us any feedback because they think we're creepy? God, I hope not. We're getting more (laughs) listeners, though. On Facebook, if you haven't joined our Facebook page, please do. It's Criminal Discourse Podcast. And we just passed 3,000 plays, which for us, the little podcast that could, that's really exciting. But we want to give a special shout out to some of our listeners. Again, we only know your location We don't know who you are. Some special listeners to the land down under in Australia. We have some listeners in Sydney and New South Wales. They're going through all those bushfires right now, so please be safe. And in Melbourne. But since there's only two, we're also going to (laughs) thank some (laughs) listeners in Texas that we have going on, our Lone Star State. So special shout out to those people listening to us in Dallas, Houston, Austin, Edinburgh, Grapevine, Arlington, Haltorn City, Plano, Trenton, Leander, Allen, and Frisco, Texas. The two places never to commit murder, Texas and Florida. Correct. (laughs) You do not stay on death row long there. So like I said about our Facebook page, please go and take a look at that and like us and join us. We put out some interesting clues for the next week's episode. And of course, you can always visit our website at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. And you can, of course, contact us on the contact page. We're still waiting for that first one. There might be something special for that first one. (laughs) Who reaches out to us just to let us know how we're doing or just to tell us to stop asking for people to reach out to us. We could send them a button. We could. We have very little swag at this point, but we do have some swag. We have a coaster and a some button. buttons. Yes. So if you, there we go. If you give us some feedback, we will mail you a button and or coaster, your choice. That's right. <laughs> but not both because our budget can't take it right now. So we're going to jump right into this episode. And this episode pertains to Joseph Miller. And the location of this episode is in Dolphin County, Pennsylvania. So we're back in PA. I think we figured out this is our fourth time in PA. Makes us sound like a hotbed of murder here in the Keystone State, but we're really not. We just know all about it because we We live live here. (laughs) That's correct. So in Dolphin County, this is under our worthless trivia knowledge here for you all. It is named after the eldest son of King Louis XVI of France. Harrisburg is the capital city of Pennsylvania, which is located in Dauphin County. A lot of people like to think Philly or Pittsburgh because there are more of our two more famous cities, but it is Harrisburg. And Harrisburg was founded by John Harris Jr., whose father was a friend of William Penn, of course, Pennsylvania's founder. And do you know the original name for Harrisburg, Maddie? No, I was going to give a name of what it should be called now, but I decided to avoid that. <laughs> Let's not offend our Harrisburg listeners because it's a great little city. It was called Harris Ferry because I believe they ran a ferry boat because Harrisburg's right along the Susquehanna River. So they ran a ferry boat across to both shores. So thankfully, they changed the name to Harrisburg. So we're going to look at August 5th, 1992 to start this episode. And I know the name I'm going to call the woman involved in this the victim. I came across her name when I was doing some legal research on this case. And I'm going to keep it Jane Doe. 
all of the papers at the time kept her name Jane Doe. And I think for anonymity purposes and her confidentiality, I'm going to continue that even though I did come across her name. So Jane Doe was a tall African-American female, and she was waiting for a cab outside of the Uptown Grill Bar, and this was located on 3rd and Munich Streets in Harrisburg. And she was offered a ride by two men, I think, that had been in the bar, and they might have been drinking together, at least seen each other, and they were coming out, and they offered her a ride. So Jane took him up on that, save a little money. And the driver of the vehicle, his name was Joseph Miller, but people called him Joey, and he was a white male in his late 20s. So after dropping his friend off... Jane asked to be taken back to the bar as she was really getting an uneasy feeling. Like her gut's telling her like, "Mm, something ain't right here. And I always say, go with your gut. So she asked him to take her back. And Joey agreed. But he had to make a stop first. He had to stop to get gas and some cigarettes. So he pulled over to a mini mart and he did that. Then he proceeded to drive in the opposite direction of the Uptown Grill. Shaking my head. (laughs) Her gut was right. So at that point, a struggle began in the car. And Joey refused to let Jane out of the car. And Joey told her he had something to do with her. And she wasn't going anywhere. So Joey drove her to an isolated Conrail train yard in Susquehanna Township. And this is located behind the Farm Show Building. So again, under our title of Worthless Trivia Knowledge, the Farm Show Building hosts the nation's largest indoor agricultural event. And I will tell you from having gone, Farm Show Milkshakes, ooh, yeah. get them. It's well worth the trip to come and see. We go every year because my, my kid loves the animals. She wants to ride all the animals and touch all of them. And there's lots of hand sanitizer involved because then we go and drink milkshakes. I do not go every year. (laughs) It's very, very crowded. And even though half my family are farmers, it's the farm smell that I just don't wear. Don't wear new clothes. (laughs) Oh, see, where I live, it already smells like a farm, as you know, having grown up there. I did grow up in that town. And you are correct. So now I'm just acclimated to it. I am not any longer. So we go, we go on occasion because my son does enjoy going. Anyway. Okay. Rail yard. So when Jane tried to jump out of the vehicle, Joey slammed on his brakes, causing the door to hit her in the head, dazing her. Now at this point, Joey tried to run her over the car because she had fallen out of the car. She was kind of taken off. He was trying to run her down, but she fell down an embankment. Joey eventually caught up with Jane and proceeded to beat her in the head and face. And then he raped her. Joey then drank a beer that he had in a cooler in the trunk of his car. He next bound her up with duct tape and placed a knife to her throat. And Joey told her, I'm going to rape you again, and then I'm going to kill you. He told Jane that all women were alike and that he had killed other women. Joey raped Jane again and then proceeded to repeatedly beat her about the head with the empty beer bottles. He dragged her by her legs to the edge of a ditch and then he put tape over her nose and mouth. Now, by luck or happenstance or whatever you want to say, an act of God, a Conrail security guard showed up. And as soon as Joey saw the guard, he ran off. But he left his car, which had the bloody knife still in the window well. The police and EMT were called, and they transported Jane to the closest hospital where she would survive her injuries and was able to give a statement to police. So the police also, in the meantime, ran the registration on the car, and it came back belonging to a Joseph Miller. So early the next morning, or even that same, morning. It was 6 a.m. They arrive at Miller's home in Steelton, Pennsylvania, which is a little south of Harrisburg, right along the river. And he lived there with his wife, who was expecting their third child. So as soon as the police arrive, he takes off and he runs to a nearby three-story apartment building where he threatens to jump off the roof. And this ends up in like a six-hour standoff. So if you want to go on Google and kind of type in Joseph Miller police standoff, you can see 
pictures of that event. Joey eventually gave himself up and he was arrested and charged with rape, aggravated assault, kidnapping, and the attempted murder of Jane Doe. Joey was read and waived his Miranda rights and told the investigating detective Thomas Brennan that Jane had willingly gone with him and had consensual sex with him. And afterwards, they had gotten into a fight that well, had gotten out of control. Now, after taking his statement, Detective Brennan, based upon the information Jane had shared with statements Joey had made to her, he knew that this wasn't his first time doing this. He said, I believe you may have committed other assaults or maybe even something more serious than assaults. So if you ever want to talk, here's my card. He just handed his card and he left. On August 11th, 1992, Joey, while still in custody, requested to speak with Detective Brennan through his counselor that he was working with through the Dolphin County Mental Health Mental Retardation Program. So now it's no longer MHMR. In Pennsylvania, we call it MHIDD, Intellectual Disabilities. So Detective Brennan met with Joey that evening and once again was read his rights, given it to him in paper form. He waved them, signed off on them. Joey proceeded to tell Detective Brennan that he had killed a woman in 1987. So this was four years previously. Her name was Selena Franklin, and he offered to take him to where the body was buried once he spoke to an attorney with the district attorney's office. So Joey was transported to the DA's office where they met with first assistant William Tully, who's now a, I believe, a judge in Dauphin County, but at the time was an assistant DA. So on the car ride over, Joey told Detective Brennan that he had killed another woman in 1989, which is a little under two and a half years previous, but he couldn't remember her name. So upon a Arriving at the DA's office, Joey told both DA Tully and Detective Brennan that he had committed several murders and he wanted the death penalty because he did not want to be an embarrassment to his family any longer. He even offered to take them to the Swatera Township landfill to show them where he placed the bodies. Now, if you remember back to our first episode, Maddie, with Susan Reinhardt, where was her body found? In the trunk of her car. Correct. In? Swatera Township. That is correct. Not that there's a connection between these two, but it just happens to be in the same location. So the group proceeded to the landfill, and while awaiting police assistance, Joey proceeded to tell the men more about the murders. So Selena Franklin was 18. She was an African-American female, and he had picked Selena up on May 15, 1987, where she was hanging out with some of her friends. Apparently, her and her group of friends would hang out, and they'd just bum rides from different people they would meet. So Joey offered to drive them around the city. So he claims that he dropped Selena's friends off first, and she offered to stay with him, agreeing to have sex with him for $35. So Joey drove to the Swatera Township landfill where they had sex and then got into an argument at which time he picked up a piece of an electrical insulator pipe and beat her over the head until she died. He took the $35 he had given her out of her pocket and then buried her body amongst the trash and debris in the landfill. Now, Joey was questioned by police several days later in connection with her disappearance because he was the last one seen with her. But he just said, no, I dropped her off here and I didn't see her again. Now, back then, 87, there weren't cell phones, there weren't CCTV cameras. So really, they had nothing to go on. But this spooked him enough that he returned to the landfill a few days later and moved her body to a different area in the landfill, taking off some of her clothes and spreading it around the landfill. And he also buried the insulator pipe right next to her body. He also claims that he returned to the landfill several months later and found that some of her bones were sticking out of the ground, so he just threw them down a nearby hillside. Now, his second victim that he didn't remember the name of was actually Stephanie McDuffie. She was a 23-year-old African-American female who was eight and a half months pregnant at the time 
of her disappearance, and she disappeared on November 6, 1989, after leaving her mother's Bellevue Street home, saying she was going to see a man she had recently met. Joey claims that they had driven out to the landfill and had consensual sex. Afterwards, he took a piece of pipe that he had in his car, and after tying her up, he beat her in the head until she died. Joey then dragged her body to a nearby access road and covered her up along with the pipe and put some lumber and shingles and tires over her. So back to August 11th, 1992, when they had gotten out to the landfill, it had gotten dark, so they really couldn't see anything. And they and Joey offered to come back the next day. The next morning on August 12th, they picked Joey up at the jail. And on the way to the landfill, they gave him some aerial photographs to look at to kind of can you circle where they're at? And he did that. So after handing the photograph back to the detectives, he started laughing all of a sudden. And the detectives are like, kind of like, what is going on here? And he claims, oh, I had just been lying about those murders. I didn't kill anyone. Detectives didn't believe him and proceeded to search the landfill. And after about a week, they found a relatively intact skeletal remains of an adult female along with a fetal skeleton. These remains would turn out to be Stephanie McDuffie and her unborn child. The pathologist would determine she died of several blows to her skull which had been crushed, and a pipe was also found alongside her body. Police also discovered partial remains of Selena Franklin, a four-leg bone which had been found to have rope tied around its ankle, along with some of the clothing she had last been seen in, and an electrical insulator pipe was found alongside her body. Unfortunately, her skull was never located. Now, Joseph Miller would be charged with two counts of first-degree murder, which he pleaded not guilty to, but after his trial in March of 1993, he would be found guilty and sentenced to death. So he had pleaded guilty to Jane Doe's assault, and he received seven and a half to 15 years for her. So if he somehow lived beyond the two death sentences, he'd still have seven and a half to 15 years to go. So on June 30th, 1992, this was 37 days before Jane Doe was abducted and raped. We need to find out that she wasn't his only surviving victim. Joey had abducted another woman from Harrisburg and taken her to Wheatfield Township in Perry County, which is across the river from Harrisburg. There he raped and beat this victim, stabbing her in the head 25 times with a screwdriver and leaving her for dead. But she wasn't dead. And she somehow miraculously made her way to a nearby home to get help. I haven't really been able to find any more regarding her case because mostly I think because it took place in Perry County. So he would have been tried there. And I think he did get something out of that, maybe similar to what Jane got in terms of prison time. So you think that would be the end of the story, right? Bad guy caught in prison, on death row, but it isn't. This is Pennsylvania. We like our twists. So in February 2000, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court would uphold Joseph Miller's death sentences, and Governor Tom Ridge did sign his death warrant, and he was scheduled for lethal injection. But on August 25, 2002, Dolphin County Judge Janine Turgeon ruled that Miller was mentally handicapped and therefore could not be put to death as it would be considered cruel and unusual punishment. This was a decree that came down from the United States Supreme Court that said anybody with an intellectual disability, or at the time what they referred to as mental retardation, could not be put to death. So on July 24th, 2008, this is now 16 years after Jane's attack, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court would uphold Judge Turgeon's act, saying that she did act within her discretion to vacate Miller's death sentences due to his intellectual disability. So to get an intellectual disability, your IQ score is in a range usually for 75 or below. And I believe he was at the upper part of that range, but he still was within that range. So he has life without the possibility of parole. And these terms run consecutively. So if he lives one lifetime, he has to come back in his next lifetime. And then if he lives beyond 
beyond that, he still has his seven and a half to 15 years. So on August 15th, 2016, this is 23 and a half years after Jane Doe's attack, Joseph Miller reaches out to detectives with the Sotera Township Police asking to meet with them. So he wants to clear up some things and clear his conscience. And you can find this video interview and go on YouTube and write in Joseph Miller Police Interview, August 15th, 2016, and you can watch it. It's a little over 30 minutes, but it is fascinating to watch. Now, Joey has read his rights, and this has gone over several times as they keep telling him, Joey, you have the right to an attorney. You have a right to have an attorney here. So God love this. Usually sometimes in stories we hear police don't read Miranda rights or they just ignore the Miranda rights. Mm -hmm. Where in this case, from top to bottom, when he was caught, he was read his Miranda rights. He had the written form of his Miranda rights. I mean, he was allowed to have representation and they wanted to make sure he knew that. But he goes, no. But at that point, would it really matter? Wasn't he already serving two life sentences and he couldn't be given the death penalty anyway? Correct. Because of his status. And he just felt attorneys got in the way of things. That was kind of what he said. So they make sure that he understands and they put this on the tape that he's the one that reached out to them. They're not the ones reaching out to him. And he's like, yeah, I want to clear my conscience. I just want to clear some things up. So Joey proceeds to tell the detectives about two more murders he committed. So the first of those murders was Jeanette Thomas. This was on July 11th, 1990. She was a 25-year-old African-American female. Jeanette's remains were actually found around 1991, and another man, William Kelly, confessed to her murder and pleaded guilty and was serving a 10 to 20-year sentence. Now, when they ran the DNA from that scene, because there was DNA found inside Jeanette, it didn't match Kelly. It matched Joseph Miller. So he was freed because he didn't do it. Did he have anything like after the confession where he tried to renege on the confession, anything like that? Or did he just... I didn't really go into William Kelly's. I couldn't really find much on that. So I don't know. I did read somewhere, but he was kind of someone else that might have been on the low intellectual side of things. He pleaded guilty to it. He accepted the 10 to 20 year sentence and he didn't do it. Have you seen it all the uh, Netflix show Confession Tapes? No. You should watch it. I think you'd really like it. Confession dates, obviously, it's people confessing, but then it's also about like false confessions and coerced confessions and all of these different things and how sometimes the wording of a confession wouldn't be a true confession. Oh. So if you say if somebody feels guilty for something and they say it's my fault, but they didn't actually kill someone, that whole right. dynamic. It's really interesting. I forgot to pick them up and then they got kidnapped and killed. It's right. my fault. They're dead. Yes. But it's not me who killed them. Exactly. Oh. Well, not that we're getting a plug for Netflix, but there you go. So Joey claims that he met Jeanette in an uptown bar along Front Street in Harrisburg, and they had been drinking, and they had gone to the landfill to have sex. Now, afterwards, they got into an argument, and these were his words, one thing led to another, and he killed her. He claims that the argument was over money, but Jeanette wasn't a prostitute. He claims that she slapped him, and he picked up a nearby tire iron and hit her in the head until she died. He then dragged her body to a nearby leaf pile and covered her up. Joey claims he didn't know that someone had been arrested and even charged and then convicted of this woman's murder until he got to prison years later. Now, Joey says he didn't know he was going to kill her when they left the bar, but he had been drinking and she had upset him. His second victim, who actually was his first murder victim that we know of, was Kellyanne Ward. She was a 26-year-old African-American female who disappeared in February 1986. Now, this was the same month that Joey was released from jail, as he had served time in and out of jail for petty crimes. And he would have been in his very early 20s at that point, yes? Yeah, he actually was born in 65. Yeah, he would have been 21. So Joey claims that he met Kellyanne at a corner bar in Harrisburg, and they went for a walk where she negotiated 
negotiated a price for sex. Joey then drove them to his brother-in-law's house to pick up 20 to $25, and they proceeded to party a little more, and then he drove them out to his favorite spot, the landfill. He claimed they had sex, but she wasn't satisfied with the money he gave her, so they got into an argument, and she told him she was going to call the police on him. In this quote in this interview, he says, So I killed her. Joey stated that he would end up moving her body a day or two later to throw off the cops. Kellyanne's remains were found in 1997, but were not identified until 2014 by the FBI. And of course, he confesses to her murder in 2016. So there's a certain victimology Joseph Miller has with the victims he chose. They were all African-American females with bigger body builds. They were either really tall or heavy on the heavyset side. All the women were from the Harrisburg area and had very tough upbringings. He would take them to isolated locations for the purpose of having sex. He always claims consensual. I'm not sure if it was always consensual. Well, especially since that's how he described Jane Doe. And Jane Doe clearly states that, no, it was rape from the beginning. So I wouldn't, I'd take that with a grain of salt, let's say. I agree with you. He claims that they would argue, or I'm going to say perhaps fought because they were trying to get away. And he would kill them by either beating them repeatedly or trying to run them over with his car. Now, in his confession in 2016, Joey talks about having seven statuette by his front door when they had come to arrest him. And he He admitted that these seven statuettes represented seven of his victims, five he murdered and two that survived. I've told you about four murders. and I'm going to save the last one for a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about Joseph Miller's upbringing. So like I said, he was born in 1965. He grew up in Steelton, Pennsylvania in a house ripe with alcohol addiction, physical abuse and sexual abuse. He was diagnosed with an intellectual disability when he was young and he dropped out of school in the fourth grade. So this would have been around 1974. 75. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, how how would you let him drop out of school? But back then you could, we, you really didn't have the idea of act, I think they call it. And they you didn't have all the inclusion that you have. Requirements that they kids have to go to school. Right. And kids back then with intellectual disabilities, they thought they couldn't learn, that they simply just, they weren't going to get it. They would just house them if they ended up going to school. They weren't intermixed with their peers or anything like that. There was no inclusion. And we know now, thank God, it's not true. Kids with intellectual abilities can learn. They learn at a slower rate. They may learn differently, but they definitely can learn and can be productive members of society. So if you're wondering why I'm on that soapbox a little bit, I will share. My son does have an intellectual disability. So thank God times have changed. But back then they didn't. So Joey's father would beat him and he would chain him to his bed and he was forced to watch his brother. And I don't know if this was an older brother or a younger brother. His parents would make his brother eat under the table like a dog. One of his uncles forced Joey to perform oral sex on him at a young age, and he was introduced to alcohol by his father at the age of six. So he was a regular drinker, I think I read, by the age of nine. Sexual abuse was rampant in his home. His stepsister was molested by his father and would end up giving birth to Joey's, what would be his stepsister slash niece. So you want to talk about a recipe for creating a serial killer? You have an intellectually disabled child who had brain damage also because of a think of the beatings he had. Introduced to hate, sexual abuse, physical abuse, violence, substance abuse, and crime. I mean, that was just like a a melting pot, I think, for what he turned into. Joey spent the majority of his youth, teen years, and young adulthood in and out of detention facilities and jails. I read a story 
when he was 12, he got a hold of a gun because, of course, his family had guns. And he ran around Steelton just firing randomly in buildings and houses. And a police officer at the time and his partner were called. They tried to kind of box him in. And the police officer talks about coming around the corner. And there's 12-year-old Joey with a shotgun pointed right at him. And he said, in that second, I had to decide, was I going to rely on my military training and my police training and fire my weapon? Or was I going to do something else? Because this was a 12-year-old boy. And thankfully, at the time, he fired his gun in the air and Joey dropped his gun. And it ended without anybody getting hurt. But years later, especially after Joey confessed to the two additional murders in 2016, this police officer says, I regret not shooting him that day. Because had I done that, as horrific as that would have been, how many women would have lived if I had done that? And I think we heard that also in the story of Bobby Joe Long. Right. With his his wife at the time, it was his wife who was suffering from physical abuse from him and pretty much had a shotgun over him and was ready to shoot him and just couldn't. She just couldn't go through with it because she's not a killer. And then afterwards, when she found out everything that he had done, which you can go back and listen to the episode for the details, but she very much regretted not having pulled that trigger. Right. As he did. You know, it's and it's a judgment call at the time he was praised and for his, you know, restraint in doing so, but it really has weighed heavy on him. So I said there were seven statuettes, five murder victims. One of his murder victims didn't really fit the victimology of the others. She wasn't African American. Her name was Kathy Novena Schneck. She was part Sioux Indian and French Canadian. She lived on a Sioux reservation in Manitoba, Canada, and was one of 16 siblings. That's a lot of siblings. Too many siblings. Anything over one, as I've said before. (laughs) (laughs) Not even one sibling, anything over one child. That is correct. That's too much. (laughs) She was put up for adoption when she was five, along with her six-year-old sister, Roxanne, due to her family life being riddled with alcohol abuse and neglect. For 13 years, she lived in seven different foster homes in three different institutions. And when she aged out of the system at 18, she ended up marrying a man from Noon Bloomfield, Pennsylvania, in Perry County. Now, this marriage didn't last long, and they divorced with the custody of the children going to her ex-husband. Now, Kathy struggled with her own dependence on alcohol. And according to her ex-husband, Kathy had been staying in a flop house the last few weeks of her life. And that's actually where Joseph Miller picked her up and drove her to a roadside dump along the Susquehanna River, just south of Duncannon in Perry County. When Kathy tried to flee from Miller, he ran her over several times with his car, crushing her to death. So as of today, Joseph Miller is still in state prison where he'll reside for the rest of this lifetime. And if again, he happens to live out this one, he still has four other life sentences. He got five life sentences for the five murders, and these are to run consecutively. So his murder spree would span five years and involve five murders and two attempted homicides. Ed Marsico was a longstanding DA in Dauphin County, called Joseph Miller the most prolific serial killer in Dauphin County history. And I think that stands true today. So usually at this time, we talk about criminal discourse life tips. So through this whole research process, this is my criminal discourse life tip for you. If you are ever, ever taken to a landfill location for a romantic interlude, (laughs) run. Run like the devil is chasing you because nothing good is going to come from that. A landfill, first of all, ooh, and... (laughs) 
not a place to make love or have sex or whatever you want to call. What would be your life tip, Maddie? Stop getting into cars. Mm. Try and be as safe and precautious as possible. Even now, especially with people getting things on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, all these things, please meet in public places. Don't go to somebody's house. Don't have somebody come to your house, especially if you're alone. It's just not safe. Try to think through what could possibly happen. I remember talking to my mom, who is a little bit of a scatterbrained. What would your word be? Your mom's my really good friend. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, we we love her. But I was talking to her the other day because in Harrisburg a few months ago, which we live in this area, there was an incident where somebody in a utility van was purposefully being rear-ended to try to get the per- the driver out of the car. And I told her it's a bump and grab. That's what it's called. It's purposeful. You have to watch out for these types of things. And it's those things that you may not really think about, but that you have to. And I try to go through life assuming good intentions, but you just can't. And you, you can't just always assume that that person does not want to harm you and just try to be safe. That's so hard because, you know, even how we end our episodes, you know, I ask you to be safe. I ask you to like, if you see something, say something. But this world needs kindness. I think we lack that sometimes. And I know we talk about a subject where there's not a lot of kindness in these subjects. But yeah, I think there's more good people out there than bad. But yes, there are bad people that have bad intentions. And it's good to at least be diligent of that fact. So example, I was... This was probably six months ago. I was um, at the liquor store and there was somebody in the parking lot that was having car trouble. And it was a woman. She was alone and she couldn't figure out there was some sort of noise when she was driving. It sounded like there was maybe a problem with her brake. And as I was walking to my car, she was calling me over to try to listen, I guess, to what was happening. But before I would just walk over, I got into my car and I drove towards her and parked my car next to her so that I could talk with her and see what she needed help with from my vehicle. Just things like that. And not to say that, you know, my way is the best way, but just try to be cautious out there. Even with kindness and and trying to help people out, there's a safe way to do it as well. So thank you everybody for listening in again this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. Like I've said before, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. You can also check out our Facebook page by the same name. And we hope you've enjoyed. We'd love some feedback from you. And as I always end our episodes, even though we just kind of talked talked about it a little bit ago. If you see something, say something. You could have that piece of the puzzle that's needed to solve a crime. And as always, be safe. As Maddie said, just kind of be hyper aware. But also, let's not forget to be kind. Till next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.